Hello and welcome to the J. Ruben Clark Law Society podcast for the Phoenix chapter. I'm Fletcher Carpenter and I'll be hosting episodes in this series. In today's episode, I interviewed Kristen McPhee. We talked about Kristen's early years of being raised on a reservation in northern Arizona. She shared a bit about how her father found the gospel while living with a family in Mesa, Arizona. She also talked about how her faith has guided her throughout her life. One of my favorite parts is when Kristen shares the harrowing story of how as a young mother of small children, she decided to attend law school while her husband was also enrolled in law school. I was very grateful to Kristen for joining us and sharing some of her journey. Her faith is inspiring, and I hope you enjoy listening to Kristen share some of her story. Tell us about kind of where you grew up and, and your upbringing. Okay, so I was born in Page, Arizona. I mean, you know, right on the border of Arizona yeah. and Utah. Population 5,000. Something like that. <laughs> but we didn't live there. That was just the closest hospital. Oh. We lived in Kayenta, which is on the Navajo Nation. So it was about, uh, you know, an hour drive from Kayenta over to Page where my mom had me. So... So we lived on the Navajo Nation until I was about five, and that was when we moved to Mesa and grew up in Mesa, did Emerson, Carson, Westwood, just all in a row, boom, boom, boom. And then I did um, my undergrad at BYU. That's where I met my husband, Ryan. And so I stayed a year after I graduated for him to graduate, and then we moved to Mesa. We've been here ever since, although when he decided to go to law school, he he's from California. He's from Sacramento. So he always kind of thought we would go back to Sacramento. Yeah, in his <laughs> well, dreams, right? Uh-huh, <laughs> yep. And so when he decided he was going to do law school, he said, well, you know, I've got to do it in California since that's where we're going to live. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so we sold everything. We moved to Sacramento and... We were there for maybe a week when he said, I think I made the wrong choice. I think I want to go to ASU. <laughs> and I told him, you made a choice. Stick with it. I don't want to hear you bring this up ever again. <laughs> and thankfully, he did. He he called ASU. And so he told me the next day, he said, I called ASU. They said I could still go there. Don't worry. I will pack everything up and move us home all by myself. <laughs> so we did. We moved back to Arizona, and he got California out of his system. And, you know, so to he, his credit, he he followed his promptings and loves Arizona now. Yeah, he, he repented and <laughs> exactly. came back to Zion. That's great. <laughs> um, so were you born, were you raised a member of the church? I was, yep. Is the church pretty big on the on the reservation? Um, no, it's not terribly big. Um, there, there's a decent amount of membership. Um, however, not, not a lot of activity. Just it's, everything's a little bit harder there just cause everything's so spread out. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was just by chance that my dad was baptized when he was eight. He was going to boarding school, um, on the reservation there. So, Every Sunday, you know, it was kind of like the kids got to pick what denomination they wanted to go to, oh. and he just happened to jump in the back of the missionary's pickup truck, <laughs> where the missionaries would go and pick all the kids up and drive them off to church. Um, and then, but my mom, she grew up in the church, so my dad was a convert as a child. 
Um, but and, and then even that, um, he, you know, being growing up in a boarding school, I don't know how much you really um, grow religiously. So for him, he when he was in junior high, he participated in the church's um, placement program, Indian Child Placement Program. And so he came and lived with a family here in Mesa for a few years. And that was the Palmers, Newell and Pauline Palmer. Okay. So that was where he saw um, how a family embraces the gospel and and the effect that that has on your home life. And that was kind of where he really gained his testimony. Wow. Yeah. So what drew you to law school? So when I graduated, um, well, I, so I met my husband the last semester of school for me. And so I had already started entertaining ideas of what am I going to do after I graduate? Um, my, my main thoughts were I'm going to go home and work while I figure out if I'm going to go to law school or go on a mission. And so, so it was something I'd kind of thought of, but then I met Ryan and you know, we got married. And so he, um, we moved to Mesa and he had an alarm business for a few years. And after a few years of doing that, he decided that he wanted to go back to school and he was going to do law school. So part of me was kind of like, oh, that was my idea. (laughs) But, um, but you know, I wasn't, I was really not thinking about it. We had two kids at the time, and I was enjoying being a stay-at-home mom with them. And, you know, two little kids keep you busy. So, um, however, it was it was definitely a prompting that wouldn't leave me alone. You know, I saw Ryan doing law school, and I had the feeling, you know, I, I need to do that too. And <laughs> it was a prompting I fought. For sure. I, it wasn't something I wanted to take on. I didn't want to go back to school with two kids at home, and it seemed too hard, too expensive. There were just too many obstacles, but it was something that wouldn't leave me alone. And so I remember just praying and telling Heavenly Father, okay, I'll, I'll take the next step, but it's going to end there because, you know, before getting into law school, you have to take the LSAT. Yeah. Well... Ryan was, um, was he, I think he was a first year law student. So we're completely broke. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have money to do an LSAT prep course or anything like that. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, I can go down to Mesa Public Library and look at the books there. And for some reason, they they didn't even allow you to check out those LSAT prep books. So I'd have to go to the library and sit in the library and, and like, kind of go over them and see, well, what's the LSAT like, you know? Yeah. Um, and then even then, I, I remember I didn't even have money to pay for the LSAT, so I asked my mom to pay for it. And, and then I took it, and I got a decent score, and I was like, oh, oh, dear. Okay, well, the only school I can apply to is ASU because I can't go anywhere else. I've got a family and my husband's going to school here. So it was again, you know, like, okay, Heavenly Father, well, I'll take the next step, but I don't anticipate it's going to go anywhere. And I remember, and, and to his credit, Ryan was very encouraging. He, you know, as soon as I let him know, hey, I'm thinking about going to law school. He started talking to people at the school and was trying to get me involved. And so he was he was definitely a big supporter. 
Um, but yeah, so when I was accepted, I just remember this kind of dread feeling of, oh no, now I need to go. Now I need to do it. Yeah, now it starts. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was it was definitely hard to figure out yeah. how to do it with two kids. Um, my I had my oldest was in uh, she was in first grade and then. Drake, he was in preschool my first year. So he went to school with me, and he was going to preschool at the preschool at ASU. Wow. So, I mean, we just figured out how to make things work. I'd always try to keep my class schedule within the hours of the kids' school schedule so I could drop them off and pick them up. And it was it was hard, <laughs> but so we made it work. So you had two little kids... You're starting law school. Ryan is—is is he just graduated? No, nope. he... uh, my first year was his third year, so we had one year overlapping. So you're both in law school, mm-hmm. two kids. Yeah. And trying to make it work. Um, yeah. Was there kind of a guiding principle that helped you keep all those priorities, balance all of the the competing needs? Um, yeah, it was definitely my family comes first, you know, and yeah. and that was that was what kind of saved me because going to school I was always the type of student that you know I really only accepted an A. <laughs> a B was something that I was not happy with yeah. and um, and so but you know my days are crazy. I, I had to get the kids to school, pick them up, get them home, have them do their homework, make dinner, get them to bed and then I would study. And I would look at the rest of the students in my class and just kind of have to go, their life is not like mine. My life is a little different, so I'm going to be okay not getting straight A's anymore. Yeah. And, and And just allowing myself that grace was huge because that wasn't grace that I would have allowed myself in my undergrad or in high school or whatever, but but. You know, I I knew that my family was what was most important at that time, even though I knew I was supposed to be doing law school at the same time. Yeah. So then after law school, did you go straight into private practice? Uh, no. So um, I got pregnant my last year oh. of law school, <laughs> which was, <laughs> that was funny. I, I learned that because, you know, when you take the bar exam, you're not allowed to bring in any water or snacks or anything like that and you're supposed to sit there for you know two four-hour chunks two days in a row well two four-hour chunks each day for two days in a row and um but if you're pregnant they let you bring in snacks and a water and so I had was that the proctor's special rule or is that an an official that's an official rule (laughs) and so I remember sitting there with my almonds and my water on my desk and people would walk by and be like hey and then they'd see my belly and they'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, our third child, Eden, she was born a week before our bar results came out. And so I remember like just being in baby heaven and thinking, well, the results come out tomorrow. If I don't pass the bar, that's fine. I'm not going to take it again. I'm just going <laughs> to stay home with my kids. But, you know, luckily I, I, I did pass the bar. Yeah. But, you know, we'd started over with a baby. And so, so I really worked, um, very minimally at that time. I did some contract work for other attorneys. Um, and then 
about a year later was when we started Grand Canyon Log. Oh, no, that was when we started McPhee Law. Uh-oh. So, um, and and that was mostly mostly Ryan, um, who was obviously doing the casework, and I was just kind of his support and helping him get things filed and, you know, drafting things or whatever. So, so I, I just worked purely from home at that time. You were, that was before it was popular to work from home. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And, and it was always kind of, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I didn't need to go and work to support our family. And I, I realized that's, a luxury most people don't have, but I was able to, you know, just kind of be whatever support Ryan needed as we started that and just purely stay home with the baby and then, you know, helping the other kids. And then uh, a couple years later, we had another. So then we had two more at home. Yeah, wow. And now you've done work for the reservations around here. Is that right? Right, yeah, right. Tell, tell us about that. So um, we... So I also work with Denton Robinson, and he has an Indian law practice. And um, with that practice, we have tribal clients, whether it's the tribe that hires us or um, maybe tribal entities, um, because the tribes, they are their own sovereign. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's just a lot of unknowns for the general population as far as you know, what does it mean if I get pulled over on the reservation? Or how would I start a business on the reservation? You know, all these um, little questions that most people don't really worry too much about. Um, it it lends way to, you know, people with Indian law <laughs> knowledge that were pretty useful. Um, but, yeah, it, it's been awesome because I've been able to help... Um, the tribes and and in you know really owning their sovereignty which is something that's always feared that it's going to be challenged and you know so mm-hmm. so it's been really rewarding helping them also helping a lot of um I've had several Indian clients where um independency matters that's also been something that I've really yeah. enjoyed helping with um just kind of helping a parent realize their parental rights and, and, you know, do what they need to do to get their children back and, and really uh, be the parent that the children need. It's probably that's a lot of been... fear there on the part of the, the parents. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so and I'm sure being Navajo yourself helps you navigate some of those those issues with the, well, are, I, I guess let me ask you this, are the local tribes here, are they just as accepting of somebody that that was born in a different uh, tribe. <laughs> yes, yes, thankfully. Um, you know, for the most part, everybody's just kind of like, oh, you're native too, cool. And okay. so so there's kind of like a brotherhood, sisterhood, or, you know, yeah. we, we say kinship between mm-hmm. the tribal members. So when did you get into running? You're doing the Boston Marathon in, what, two weeks, three weeks? Yeah, on the 18th. Uh, on the 18th. Uh-huh. Um, so how did you how did you get started with that? So um, I started running. Let's see. It was right about when Ryan started law school, and I just needed an outlet. You know, yeah. I needed some me time, and and that was what worked with my schedule. As far as you know, I get up early and do it before the house wakes up. 
So um, I just found it was a the best way for me to start my day to be ready for the day, to be in a good mood. <laughs> you know, all those endorphins help. Um, and then um, it was it just kind of became my sanity. You know, something yeah. that I needed, even though. I'd frequently think, oh, I don't have the time to do this, but sleep was sacrificed and <laughs> running saved me. <laughs> so at what point did you realize, you know, I could I could go qualify for Boston? Like you're, you knew you were getting good at it. Um, well, so, you, so yeah, there were, gosh, I think I didn't qualify for Boston until probably my 15th marathon. Um, my first marathon, I, I naively went out thinking that that was a possibility, um, but I sprained my ankle and, oh, and my time just went out the window. But and, and that was the other thing, you know, a marathon is just a different animal where you, there's so many things that can go wrong over 26 miles. <laughs> So, so there were so many marathons where I was just figuring it out, like, you know, what upsets my stomach and, you know, what kind of, um, shoes should I wear and all these different little things. So, um, it, it was finally like at 15, my 15th marathon that I got it all together and the stars aligned, but, but I will say, um, training plans and running with fast friends, that is the key. Fast friends. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll write that one down. <laughs> I know. Otherwise I'm just content to just go at a nice, easy pace. But if I have to keep up with somebody, you push yourself in a way that you don't really do it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So listening to a podcast and just kind of moseying along isn't the, isn't a recipe for success. It's a recipe for a nice run, yeah. not, <laughs> not, not for gaining speed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how do you think your faith gives you uh, or gives strength to the law? Um, well, I think that having the, the values that, you know, I was taught growing up um, in the church that that has been a guiding principle that's been stronger than, you know, like the ethics committee or anything like sure. that. Um, it's It's been something that's kind of helps you really uh, desire to not only do good, but to be good. And um, so I, I also feel like my faith has helped me prioritize um, balance and just, you know, figuring out how... How can I work? How can I um, be a good mom? How can I be an active member of the church? All these things that, um, you know, I think otherwise you tend to just kind of throw yourself into one basket. Um, but it's it's helped me. Um, but, and I would say probably the biggest aspect has just been having a relationship with, you know, my heavenly parents and relying on their guidance and the spirit to to lead me in the path that I need to take. Do you think um, being faithful gives you a unique perspective on the law that you maybe wouldn't have if you didn't have this upbringing? Uh, yeah, I think so. Just because, um, you know, we are raised with, um, you know, heaven's and God's laws and seeing how that those are um, universal and applied with with 
so much, not not just um, justice, but mercy. Um, I think that has been huge and just kind of thinking about the atonement and um, the mercy that that extends to everybody kind of helps me just look at our laws and, and think about how can this fairly be applied because there's so much unfairness in in our judicial system yeah, and 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 ever other things and just knowing that I can help play a part in extending some more fairness to people who might not get it otherwise it just kind of helps me you know think about our savior and what he's done for us and what about what about the other the reverse of that do you think your legal training has has changed your perspective on faith and church and and things like that um i don't think it's changed my perspective on those things i think that it i think that having legal training has helped me to think deeply about things um to to ask the why questions that i probably didn't ask before so um you know it, it's led to i think just more prayers as far as you know help me understand this so i also wanted to ask um what advice would you give to to a a young mother who's thinking about law law school? Uh, my fir- my first thing I would say is you can do it. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. It it'll be hard, but it definitely will be worth it. Um, my other thing that I would say is like I was talking about earlier, just you know, B's and C's get degrees. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to have the straight A's. Um, and, and it, it wasn't that I didn't uh, try hard. I definitely tried, but it was all within um, the realm of it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm still learning. I'm still progressing. And, you know, I, I can do it. So, And is, yeah. there, is there anything you didn't learn in law school that you wish they would have taught you? Hmm. Um, how to practice. <laughs> <laughs> how to be a lawyer. How to be a lawyer. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. It, but yeah, there's so much that, cool. because that was the other thing. Since I um, had kids at home, I didn't do any summer internships oh. or externships. So I didn't have any actual practice experience and until my clinic, my third year, and I remember getting an assignment where I was having to do some court filing. And I, I just, it's so funny to look back at now and realize I didn't even know what, you know, court filings looked like. <laughs> and so, so that was hard coming. So, you know, I think I definitely started a leg behind until, you know, once I started working with Ryan and, and he was showing me how to do stuff. But, um, but yeah, so I would also say, hey, it's possible to, you can get through law school without working over your summers because, you know, my summers were home with my kids. Yeah. So. Great. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And we hope to see you at the, maybe the annual conference this summer or some other J. Ruben Clark function. Yep. I'll be there. <laughs>